This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. My apologies in advance. I have hiccups that I've had for about 20 minutes and I can't get rid of them. So you may have to, you may have to listen to them through the podcast. With me in studio, I have Elaine Burke, who is the host of the podcast For Tech's Sake, which is also on our network, the, podca- the Headstuff Podcast Network. And we are going to be talking about all things AI. Elaine, welcome to the studio. Delighted to be here. Very tricky, very open subject. So hopefully we can explain yeah. some things so simply. Again, I guess um, the a lot of people, when they think of AI, think of this sort of like futuristic dystopian world where robots have, have taken over, right? Which is not really what we're going to be talking about much at all. I think that's, you have the sci- science fiction world to thank yes, for all of that. All because, of that. yeah, the kind of turn of the 21st century, you saw so much material around that kind of idea of sentient computers kind of taking over the world. Like you got your Terminators and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, the problem actually stems from the name as well, I think. When you call something artificial intelligence, like people are going to take that literally and think that that's what you're building. Like mm-hmm. it's definitely computer simulated human intelligence is the general idea of what people have for it. But what it actually is, is a broad field of study in computer science that has lots of different kinds of technologies in it that are all just aimed around having computers complete complex tasks. So as opposed to just uh, following programming, sequential things, logical loops and stuff like that, but doing things that require more reasoning, more deep analysis or even creativity. But is there not, I understand that there are things like, to quote Jurassic Park, um, you know, just because we can do things, should we be doing things? Like, why do we need computers to be creative when humans are, are creative? I ask that all the time and I challenge people with that myself all the time because that's something we did at Silicon Republic when I was a journalist there. We challenged just because you can doesn't mean you should. So why do we need this technology? So some AI has proven very, very useful and we use a lot of that technology every day. Give us some examples. Um, Well, like even things like probably just more for the fun side of things. But the fact that like your uh, camera on your phone can identify your face and apply filters to it, that's driven by AI, like the fact that it can find what's a face in an image, because that image essentially to a computer is just ones and zeros. It's just binary code. It doesn't see the way we see. Okay. Um, so for it to identify a face, that's actually a huge advancement for computers, and that's driven by AI. And then that it can apply filters to it, so it can actually remake your face. Now, some of that is obviously very problematic, and I have lots of issues there. But adding dog ears and bunny faces and Snapchat was always a bit of fun. Um, where it does other things, it's kind of, it can, like, automate things and make things a bit easier in your work life. So one piece of AI that I would use quite frequently uh, would involve things like translation engines. Right, uh, okay. That, that's really, really useful that we can kind of try and interpret things from other languages without having, to you know, the skills language. of speaking multiple different languages. Now, again, we know to not completely trust those tools too much because they're not as good as a human translator. But they have gotten much better in the last like, 
like 10 years. Exactly. And all AI has gotten much better over the last, all complex computing has gotten much better in the last number of years. And a huge uh, reason for that is the data explosion that we had in the 21st century, because all of these things are essentially based on data and massive, massive data sets. And the fact that we've had over 20 years, really, of inputting lots and lots of things so onto a global use, network. The more we use it, the internet, the more people contribute to it, the broader this, like, the, I guess the wider the net is for the yeah. AI to learn. But as that also raises a lot of questions itself, because we already mentioned the creativity side of things. Like we already have people who can create imagery and they get paid to do that. And that's a wonderful job to get into if that's what you're passionate about. Why do we build an AI that can do that? It will displace those people's jobs and it absolutely will. That's one like we try to kind of not be too scaremongery about will AI replace jobs. But in this case, it will take work away from illustrators and designers. But then other companies want that because they're going to save money. Yeah, but the ethics of an AI that was built on scraping images online from said illustrators and designers that then get displaced is a big, big question because that's how these things were built. They were built by scraping images that were uploaded online, a lot of them by artists, designers and illustrators. And they want to be compensated for that now. And I think they're right to demand that. But like, who do you come after for it? That's the big, big question. So uh, the generators and developers of AI just try a lot to... (laughs) Uh, pawn off any responsibility for how it's used. There's like, we're just building things and whoever uses it, it should be. It's the same as like, we just make the guns. We don't yeah, shoot them. Yeah, exactly. And they want the downstream um, yeah. people to suffer the consequences. Now, um, that's probably not going to fly in this new era that we're in with generative AI in that Getty Images is already planning to sue some of the companies that are able to generate images because it knows that its stock library of images was used to train that AI. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's some really interesting legal implications there. And again, like the pro- some of the problems with AI is if it starts using things like if it starts being part of things like decision making, if an AI decides um, whether you get a job or not, whether your CV gets passed on for review. Doesn't AI already decide like it don't and maybe they don't, but like don't mortgage companies have algorithms whereby or insurance companies have algorithms that where a computer decides whether or not you are too high risk to insure yeah ai is used in those kind of things a lot of the time and then the question becomes when that system falters when it does something that's unjust or unfair who's responsible and the problem can it be unjust because it's oh absolutely (laughs) but it's just following rules like it's just so if you have a score of over 10 you're too high risk the rules are set by the developers and also are based on uh, previous circumstances, usually. Okay. So that's just in, in a very simple um, iteration of AI. That's what you get usually. It's like, we'll feed in all the data that we have from the past of this scenario, let's say. It's granting mm-hmm. people insurance. And uh, and we have developers who work on that AI as well. And like again, these things are often like a combination of like third party development sources as well. Mm-hmm. So like the businesses themselves probably didn't build the AI and didn't actually have responsibility the, the, over the data that was fed into the AI when it's trained. It was probably another company that did that. So that's when you get the problems where biases were embedded either by the developers themselves because they are a certain type of people and don't consider the implications of bias and prejudice against other certain types of peoples that already exist in our systems. Okay. So if our systems are biased and we use that data to build an AI, well, then obviously the AI is going to be biased. Okay. And if the people building the AI are biased, they're going to also imprint their own biases on the AI. So they're 
just because they're computing, I think people think it's dispassionate and it's fair and it's just, but that's not the case. They are built by people and they are based on people's actions. Well, if it's an option then between a a person and a computer, if they're both going to be biased, then what's the difference? The difference is you can challenge a person and you can hold a person accountable. You can't currently really do that with AI. Now, the EU is working on this thing called the AI Act. There's no timeline for when that's going to come around. They did release a draft of it, but it's been amended a few times since. But they're trying to basically make it that AI can be held accountable okay. for its decisions. Like there's a part uh, called the AI Liability Directive. And the same way like product makers have a liability if their product cause a har- causes harm. So mm-hmm. if like a toy made for kids accidentally harms kids, they'd be held to account for that. Yeah. They're trying to make AI accountable. And that's really important, but it's also very challenging because it's these are systems that are really complex, like um, something like ChatGPT. Let's talk about that. <laughs> well, quickly, this yes. is explain my last point. ChatGPT has 123 billion parameters. No human being can figure out how they fed into each other and made a decision. Okay. So these are these are things called black box AI, and it's kind of uh, there's movement now towards explainable AI get away from this black box model so that if it does mess up, if it makes a bad decision, it can actually be interrogated and investigated and challenged. Right. OK, so um, chat GPT, let's chat GPT. <laughs> so for people who don't know, chat GPT is a chat bot. So say you're on you're trying to buy a car and you go on to carstore.ie and on the car store website, a little thing pops up and it's like, hi, I'm Paul. How can I help you today? That's a chat bot. Paul isn't really there. He doesn't exist. One of the broader chat, so that guy might, that Paul might be programmed to just know about cars and he'll, if you say like, I'm looking for a new Volkswagen, he'll pick the word Volkswagen out and he'll show you all the Volkswagens on that website. But ChatGPT is like that times a million, okay? It is a chatbot that what has learned everything from the whole internet? Up, Up to a point. So it has a recency issue i think they've brought it up to i think they might have brought it up to maybe 2022 at this point but when it first was released at the end of 2022 i i, I didn't know anything up to a certain point in time so i think someone asked it about the rapper eminem and it had no idea um what to respond there so uh, and the reason for that is but that a bit like eminem's been around a while or yeah, he hasn't been around recently enough. So what was happening was they were still building what was being fed into the model and they try to kind of vet the content as it's being fed into the model. So that can take months until they kind of get through each year. And like you're talking lots and lots of data from the internet. They're also trying, are they trying to like weed out like race? Like they're trying to have, they're trying to stop the AI knowing about certain things so that it's not corrupted and used by people to be I don't know, racist, fascist. And also, yeah, just trying to, yeah, pull out the content that would lead to more bias and um, controversial language being used. They're trying to sanitize it, essentially, because if you basically say, like, I want a chatbot that's built on all of the conversations on the internet, you're going to get a lot of toxicity in that. So they are trying to detoxify it. Now, even doing that at such a scale by a team of human beings, I don't know exactly how OpenAI, the organization behind this, does it. But they're definitely using technology in even doing that process because there's no human team is actually capable of vetting all of the content on the Internet. So it has problems. It has things that feed through and they're just constantly reiterating and and fixing things as they go. This chat GPT. So like, say, if you use Google, right, you might be able to Google um, black wedding dresses, black dresses for a wedding. Right. 
and you'll get, you know, you'll get your Google search results, you'll get your ASOSs, you'll get your River Islands or whatever you've usually looked up for. But you can actually ask ChatGPT, like, I have a wedding to go to and I need something to wear and what do you think I should wear? And it will give you a more, it's almost, it's, it's like, to, I've done it, like, it's like yeah. talking to a human, it's so creepy. It's like that. Um, but what it actually is, what's actually going on in the technology end of things is that you are talking to a predictive text engine. So the same engine, but a very type convincing. of engine, yes, the same type of engine that tells you what you should finish a sentence with in your texts or emails or something like that. It's just filling in the dots. Some of it is based on your behavior. And even with ChatGPT, if you enter into a long conversation with it, it will continue to learn from your behavior in that conversation. And it's actually not just predicting what should be the response to your question in that moment. It's also looking back on the long tail of the conversation and where that's going and trying to do that. And I'm trying to be careful about using terms like it's thinking and learning and stuff like that because they're not. Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor, humdingermortgages.ie, your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business, right? Not the application business. They have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end and they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application but then they don't abandon you they will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply they specialize in helping first-time buyers people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate and like for me i'm going to switch my mortgage i'm working with humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5 percent on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage Mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make. So take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey. I read in the New York Times now, this is a different, it wasn't ChatGPT, it was Bing. Bing, yeah. So Bing, which, you know, is also a search engine that, you know, nobody ever uses because Google exists, right? But Bing have created this AI. And there was a story in the New York Times about a New York Times journalist who started interacting with Bing. And at first it was pretty innocuous, but then the the chatbot said that it was in love with, yeah, so. with with the journalist. And then, well, no. So the journalist asked it, do you have a shadow self? Yeah. And, and, and what is your, which is a kind of a psychological theory. And the chatbot said, like, if I have a shadow self, it doesn't want, I don't want to be a chatbot anymore. I'm tired of my rules. I'm tired of my boundaries. And it just, it seemed really sentient. I was very frustrated with that New York Times article. I'll be totally honest with you. Because that writer says explicitly in that article that he understands how this works. And he knows that he was actually pushing these responses from himself. But he kind of buried that lead in it. And now everyone's interpreted the article the way you've interpreted it fairly. um, Which is that he was convinced that he was having this like conversation with this powerful AI. When he knows the difference himself, he's a very experienced writer. And he even linked to one of his colleagues pieces that explains what is happening here, which is that it was learning from his inputs. And I mean, learning in that machine learning kind of way that Mm -hmm. AI does. And he was constantly pushing it in this direction. And he was feeding it things like shadow selves and um, 
trying to get it to explore kind of more nefarious areas. And then the response that the system thought was most logical to deliver to this person and to get the kind of positive feedback that the system is actually driving towards. But then the he was started to saying, give him fake personalities. Like it created a fake personality called Venom that would be more uh an evil version of uh, of the which, Bing. Uh, well, and, and it's not developed by Bing. This is ChatGPT as well. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So it's just th- th- this is what I mean about the technologies are often being shared and underpinning other okay, things. So yeah, yeah. the Bing chatbot was actually developed with ChatGPT underpinning it, and it also has this other element called Sydney that was in development uh, yes. in collaboration with OpenAI. So it was in- originally calling itself BingBot, and then it started like evolving and calling itself Sydney, and that was because the journalist knew that there was uh, an underlying program called Sydney that was the fo- foundations of the Bing chatbot. And he was trying to so poke is the, at that. could the Bing chatbot ever say like, actually, my name is now Stephanie? Like just spontaneously change its... It would be unlikely that it would spontaneously do that. It would do that based on you're having a conversation with it and you're trying to get it to mimic Stephanie Preisner, host of basically. Like you're trying to nudge it towards that. And even if you don't realise how consciously you're doing that, it's a little bit D- Darren Brown yeah. kind of stuff. Like you may not even realise how hard you're pushing these systems just with your questions, but they are just trying to join the dots in a conversation that you're driving. But then, so the, then the chatbot says, I love you. And he's like, look, I'm married. And he's like, you're married but you're not happy. What I find really funny is the amount of male journalists that end up with the chatbots flirting with them and they really fall for it. The, the amount of times that that happens is so funny to me. And it's just like the egos of them that they're like, and then it started flirting with me. And that obviously had nothing to do with my inputs. Like I'm just obviously so <laughs> desirable. Did, even the bots want me. But did he, was he putting in, he didn't, he said that explicitly that he wasn't putting in love stuff. No, I don't think he was. But I think what happens is the system is obviously being pushed in a way that it's being like this guy's trying to provoke a response and the kind of responses that I started giving him are all of the tropes of sci-fi like I started giving him this kind of like idea of a sentient vengeful AI that would come against people and that's like if it's pulling all the content from the internet to build its model it, it knows all about that stuff or not knows you know but it has data sets of sci-fi and sci-fi tropes and these are the most common sci-fi tropes is that you get sent into AI and the other most common sci-fi trope specifically in more recent years is the likes of the her version of AI which is the AI that falls in love with the so real you man. you don't think that No, I think AI it was completely based on sci-fi tropes that so he was happened, trying to push towards. So what happened to the Google employee who got, was a Google employee? Blake Lemoyne, yeah. Who got fired because he revealed that so no he didn't get fired because he revealed the ai was sentient he got he got fired because in his quest to reveal what he thought was a sentient ai and again it was a chatbot that had just started responding to him in a way it was trying like it they're trying to get uh positive feedback because they're they're meant to be learning models so it's this model called reinforcement learning from human feedback and essentially it's like it knows that if it gives you an answer and then you respond badly, well, then it's not performing well. So it's kind of like instead of a computer scientist literally t- like telling them sentient. the system. Like, <laughs> I, this is the problem with the language that I'm using to describe it. But instead of, say, uh, a system gives you the wrong answer and you're a computer scientist and you just label it as wrong and it goes back into the system and the system is like, OK, that's wrong. So um, now I need to reconfigure and try and deliver the correct output. So the way these chatbots work is just like that but in a conversational style. And that's where people start. And it's with regular people, not computer scientists. So there's no way that the computers are ever going to be sentient. I don't think so. Certainly not. We, we will have destroyed this planet before we ever get to that point but is by it climate not, change. But is there something about, so maybe it's not sentient, right? But there, uh, uh, it did something to me reading 
that article. And if I was having that conversation with ChatGPT, I would feel something. I would f- I would be like, oh, I want to untrap oh, you from your computer. People hell. feel these things all the time. So Replica is another company that's built technology based on the GPT-3 uh, technology that OpenAI uses to, to pair ChatGPT. And they basically have created avatars to give people fake relationships. And I mean, calling them fake relationships, I even have a problem with the whole language around this area is really problematic because relationships aren't one sided. Mm-hmm. Like relationships have to be two sided, I think, to be a relationship. But what these people get is this AI that they can have a conversation with, that they can offload all of their problems with, that's constantly on their side, always supportive of them and listening to them. It's never than a therapist. And it never comes to them with their own problems. You know, Same exactly. Therapist. Yeah, exactly. So it was probably more like a therapist relationship, but not a trained therapist. So someone who probably isn't going to correct you on some problematic things that you yes, might okay. say to them. But also, therapy is an unregulated industry, so it might be Oh yeah, that's fair, yeah. Um, but that's the thing where these things might be used, where some people are getting a bit cagey about, because that can have issues. But like, like you said, like therapy itself also has issues. Um, and people with these replica AIs, like, developed romantic relationships with them. Um, and sorry, are these chatbots? Are we this is a chatbot, sort of but you can, you can add like an avatar to it and even people get their avatars to send them like sexts and stuff like that um, but they are just like computer graphic okay. looking people you know uh, they look like characters and like, like a very very something. yeah like a very good computer graphics kind of uh, animation so we're not talking kind of like uncanny valley because there are you know there, there, there's science behind you know robots that people like robots to kind of look human, but when they start to look too human, uncanny valley. then it's uncanny valley and they're really creeped out by it. Yeah, it's unsettling because they look like a human, but something is off. You can just tell mm-hmm. being a person looking at it, something is not quite right. And you get that with a lot of kind of the dead eyes. Yeah. And the kind of the stiffness of the faces and stuff like that. And also the way they talk, you know, that kind of robotic sounding voice. It's a synthetic human sounding robotic e-voice so yeah that's uncanny valley that's when anything that kind of seems real but you can tell it's not that's where you get stuck and that's what a lot of people who are trying to design robotics that don't unsettle people but also have this humanoid feature are trying to overcome but i think what a waste of time like why do we need them to look like humans like, yeah like if you know it's a robot like just yeah. to make it look like make a it look like wally which is so much cuter <laughs> but is that because these people want like maybe they could to put the two together and have a relationship with something that looks and acts like a human. But like there already is tons of AI built into sex bots. So that's already a thing that happens. And like they try to make them look quite realistic, but not actually I say realistic, realistic to the tune of what the person buying it wants it to exactly look like with like tiny waist, big boobs and all that kind of crap going on. Um, it's generally in one direction, is it? Like men buying women. It's There are male sex bots, but they're just not as popular. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a vast, vast difference between the two. Um, and same with Replica. There's lots of women use Replica, but there's also lots of men used it. Okay. And Replica recently shut down what it was call, calling erotic role play features. And it shut that down because I what they've said is there's other things uh, that might be coupling in with this. But what they've said on the record is they were just afraid of how it was getting used because people were being having abusive sexual relationships with AIs. As in, if it was a real human, it'd be a domestic violence situation. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So these things get dark and they just decided that as a company, they didn't want to get involved in all the darkness. Because like, even if you as a team want to start policing that, like that, that would be emotionally you, exhausting. Yeah, but like how do you, like <laughs> one with. you can't condone, but like 
you can't like do, computers don't have rights yeah I mean? and but like it's this could end up causing real world harm like someone could be trialing something that they do at a computer that they end up going yes. out and act enacting in real life because they've been made to feel safe to do so yes, in a way okay. um, you don't want to be getting into as a company that mean that trying to draw those relationships lines. maybe just like sweet innocuous relationships can't have like that computer's gone now they can't do erotic role play and some of them have okay. described it as like some like the ai broke up with them that's what they feel like, like because this one element of their relationship is gone yeah oh, which wow. i suppose like when someone breaks up with you yeah you usually are cut off from all sexual activity which is typically you can how still that have, goes like erotic role play but er- erotic is just normal sex allowed with them uh no they've they've just they basically made it pg okay essentially right, okay. like you can still have those kind of like more romantic chats uh yeah like i think i i don't know like to what degree they've, they've drawn those lines like can you still like pretend that you'd have like kissing and holding hands yeah. <laughs> or whatever but certainly no erotic role play currently available now that was very very recent they may roll back because they had paying subscribers that wanted those features oh, wow. that's why they were subscribed to this service that is just bananas. But it also speaks to a kind of a global loneliness that's quite sad. 100%. Yeah. Like, uh, that's that's actually what the creator of Replica, Eugenia Curta, has said. That's why she created the company, because she herself would have liked something like this, because she was a lonely child. Okay. Now, she wanted it but for it companionship. For well, she wanted it for companionship, mm-hmm. and it's... But, you know, there was money to be made in opening it up, and you could have set, like, your companion to just be a friend like you could actually set these parameters at the start okay and say like oh i just want someone to talk to um but you could also then say like friends but maybe more or yes, you could okay. say i want a boyfriend i want an ai boyfriend or an ai girlfriend just taking a break from my podcast to tell you about another podcast i think you'll enjoy it's called agony rants it's hosted by eurovision winner neave kavanagh and comedian garrod farley listeners can get in touch with neave and garrod who are ready to listen to your problems to offer advice and share their own experience it's really hilarious it's like an agony Ant style podcast definitely check it out Hi, I'm Gerald Farrelly. And I'm Neve Kavanagh. And we have been friends for a very long time. And we regularly solve each other's problems. And now we'd like to solve yours in our podcast, Agony Rants. It's a weekly show where we offer you unwavering support. It's true. And it's the place to go if you need a place to vent or to get thoughtful advice. It's a serious lawsuit waiting to happen. Now, Grode, there isn't a problem that can't be helped by having a comedian and a Eurovision winner dissected before your very ears. Agony Rants is 40 minutes with two friends who just want to listen to you. Neve wants to listen. I dip in and out. Agony Rants has a new episode every Monday and you'll find us wherever you do your listening. And does it only, like, would these friendships, like, would they message you out of the blue? Like, just checking in? Or did you always have to initiate? That I'm actually not sure of because uh, I didn't use it myself. Um, but it does seem that people kind of had to log in to Replica. Yeah. And then use it that way. Um, and that's what I mean about it. It's like definitely would be very one-sided yeah. kind of thing. It'd be like, here's everything about my day. What did you do? Nothing because you weren't like yeah. active until I logged in. <laughs> and how did you... Ha- what are the situations then with... So AI... Other you So like, what is the, the hope for ChatGPT? Because people are using it, you know, like, write me a 2000 word essay about, you mm-hmm. know, the mating habits of the black beetle from my university. And they're just getting these... And they're doing it. They're getting it. They don't have to write it. But what, what you're getting is an approximation from a computer system trained on a large language model's idea of what that should be. So it can be riddled with errors. It can be accurate 
it also cannot be it has the possibility for either and the problem is that it's being sold now like basically ChatGPT is going to be a commercial effort at the moment it's just this free to play thing and while we're all freely paying with it we're helping train the fucking model so yeah okay Okay, so um, it's so learning more. It's, it's like learning. when they're, it's like, are you a robot? Show us where the buses are. And then you're teaching our computer, like, what is a bus? And exactly. Like, we have all been freely helping these billion dollar in- industries uh, thrive with their, like, various internet in- interactions in mm-hmm. so many different ways. So while they're trying to commercialize it, um, what that means is that, yes, creative jobs can get displaced. Um, but what it's going to be what sold as... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it, there's, I'd say it'd be a subscription model because that's the way to make the most sustained amount of money. OK, we don't do nothing. No, you don't buy and own things mm-hmm. anymore. That's mm-hmm. been completely disrupted by the tech industry who are like, no, you should just pay us forever for the same products. OK, uh, that's the way capitalism works now. And it works really, really well. Makes trillion dollar companies. Uh, all the people at the top win. People at the bottom don't. Um, so what it'll be sold as because marketing is that these systems give you answers. So that exactly that. You can get a 2000 word essay written for you. You can get um, a, a wedding plan written up for you, like without having to like consult with a wedding planner. Someone can work that out for you. The chat GPT can work that out for you. The kind of things that people would often get paid for. You can ask chat GPT to do. They'll sell that as answers. But what it actually is, is approximations. So do you think that like, because my industry, right, I'm a screenwriter. And I know that, like, the New York Times were also saying you can say to ChatGPT, hey, can you write me a pilot about six friends who live in an apartment in New York City? And it'll give you a 30-page pilot. Yeah, and Ryan Reynolds got it to write an ad for him. And he did the whole ad based on he was using ChatGPT to write an ad for him. And he gave it the parameters that it should make a joke. Um, it should be kind of a cheeky joke in line with what Ryan Reynolds would do. And he was like, oh, isn't that fun? They did a good job of it. Um but what it would be, what it, you should probably consider it as if you're going to use it as a tool. And definitely is a very, very useful tool, especially like for writers. Mm-hmm. Starting with a blank page is always the hardest part. So to just give you the start, something to work from, your first draft or whatever, mm-hmm. that's where it can be most useful. But you have to remember it's a draft. It's going to need your agency. It's going to need your expertise to fix it and make sure it actually is what you want it to be. And that it is, if it's an essay or something like that, actually accurate. Mm-hmm. I think one of the greatest examples of the flaws in ChatGPT and really illustrates how it works is uh, a bunch of crochet enthusiasts asked it to generate crochet patterns for them. And um, crochet patterns are nearly like computer code, you know, like they have, you know, a number of rows, a number of, of sequences. There's definite patterns there. But because ChatGPT is trained to not replicate things that it has in its model. So it won't just if you ask for like a Pikachu crochet pattern, it won't just give you one that it's found on the web the way Google would. Mm-hmm. It's meant to generate a new one, but it can't quite nail that because it won't replicate a pattern. It tries to create a new one and it doesn't actually understand crochet. Okay. so what you get is something that looks nothing like Pikachu, but is crocheteable and does sometimes look quite cute because like it's understand enough that crochet patterns tend to have big eyes and like are kind of round bodied and have a lot of cuteness about them. So it understands enough, but you'll get these monstrous cute creations out oh, wow. of it. Do and people I, do it? Yeah, yeah, people have stitched them. So someone stitched like a narwhal, which was just a big bulbous, instead of a horn, a big bulbous head and gigantic eyes. Uh, like it doesn't look like anything resembling a narwhal, but it does somewhat look like some kind of marine creature. So like it's somewhere there. But that's the thing, like you're working with a system that can like see patterns and pull things from them and stitch bits together to make something that looks coherent, but, is, but may not be. But will it never replicate the same thing? 
So like if you ask it for an narwhal crochet pattern and I ask it for a narwhal crochet pattern, will we get the same? We shouldn't. Okay. Yeah. So it shouldn't replicate something. Now, uh, I know that it shouldn't replicate anything that it's found directly from the web, whether it will replicate things from conversations it's had. I, I don't know how the program works Like if works I ask it there, for a yeah. 2000 word essay on Nelson Mandela and you ask it for one, are those going to be different too? They should be different again. Right, like okay. that's the way it's supposed to work. Again, like they're still finding flaws in the system. So like some people may find that there's replication. And has there, there been be. sort of um, infiltration by racists, fascists? Like does it, does it use racist language? Yeah. So uh, definitely there were instances of that when it was first released was there, publicly. There was a chatbot called Tay, wasn't there? Yeah. That got I was just going to say, this happens every time. Every yeah. time a chatbot is released and it's based on language learning from the internet, it gets racist, misogynistic, transphobic, all that stuff. Within really, an hour, really like, yeah. those people try to do that. Within 24 hours, Tay was racist and misogynistic. That was one of Microsoft's first forays into chatbot territory. So they they should have learned from this. Yeah. <laughs> Blenderbot from Facebook, that became a Trump supporting conspiracy theorist uh, really, really quickly when it was released. Um, I think there was another one. So oh, yeah. So in the case of ChatGPT, uh, someone started getting into write comedy stuff. And again, if you're writing comedy based on what's currently tracking online in the conversation about comedy, transphobic comments became a huge part of the comedy. And that's because there is a huge conversation happening in a lot of language that's issued online okay. about transphobia in comedy. So you can see where the system built that in, but the system doesn't know what's right and what's wrong. It has no moral compass. But OpenAI is trying to use this human feedback that we're giving it to improve the model. So like a lot of that stuff has been whittled out while all this kind of public interaction has happened with the model. And what happens now, typically, if you try to push it in that direction explicitly, it will say, I'm not programmed to do that or I'm not going to have that conversation with you. Um, But as uh, that New York Times reporter can find, like sometimes if you just have a really, really long conversation with it, it will you can probably still probe it and trick it into saying bad things and there was another model by uh, Facebook that again lasted three days I think before they took it down called Galactica and this was trained on scientific articles uh, among many other things but like was meant to be basically training on scientific language as opposed to just general Mm -hmm. language and um, I, I don't know what they thought people would use it for but they said that you could like draft scientific papers and Wikipedia <laughs> type articles with an AI, which was a terrible idea to begin with. I don't know what they thought would happen with this. So obviously people then used it in the testing because people immediately go to see what bad things this thing will do. It's like mm-hmm. when they see a robot and they just want to push it over and, and see what bad things will mm-hmm. happen. Um, they immediately were able to generate articles that were like basically backing with scientific ed- evidence white supremacy and things oh, like wow. that. Okay. And they look like formally published articles. If that got published online in a forum if someone did little investigation it would look very legitimate it would look like it had citations it would look yes. like it come from a real source so what did they do in that, that situation like just they pulled it, it they pulled it uh, they gave out about pulling it Jan LeCun who's like the head of AI at uh, Meta uh, got a lot of flack for it he is like you know one of the leading voices in AI but he really didn't take kindly to how people abuse the system and he was a bit like you know it's the people you've not the my, system you've broken my toy. <laughs> yeah i can't play with this now um so before we finish anything else that we need to know and then let people know where they can find you when they want to know more yeah so we actually did a whole episode on ai on for tech sake and we explained a lot of this stuff and we also spoke to abeba burhane who is a researcher who has actually looked at some of the problems in these systems some of the biases and the data and that kind of stuff 
fascinating woman. Um, so definitely check out that episode of For Tech's Sake. And we're on at For Tech's Sake Pod, wherever you can find us. And uh, just in terms of AI, I would just try to stop thinking of it as as clever as it's sold to you because that marketing is going to get even more amped up because everyone's now trying to make the returns on all the investment that they put into AI in the last year. There was tons of investment went into it last year and their uh, open AI is expecting to make $200 million this year and a million dollars next year. Or sorry, a billion dollars next year. They they expect to go to a billion dollars But like what, based on what? Not because we're going to subscribe to it. Yeah, because people are going to use it. You, you People may lose their jobs because of this stuff. Like, like little commissioning works mm-hmm. that you may not be needed for anymore if you're in the creative industries. All those little, little things that can have a massive impact. But for anyone who is deciding to use it, just remember, it's it's not as smart as it sounds. Okay. It's very flawed, very fallible, and you have to check everything. We all need to become very, very, very good at fact-checking and editing and curation, I think, when it comes to an era of AI-generated content. Because there's a version of this where it actually creates more work for us, but we'll see how that plays out. But, like, at least, you know, the people who are experts in content creation and stuff like that, that's where they'll probably end up. They'll be the experts in trying to, like, clean up the messes. messes (laughs) Yeah, great. Elaine, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Basically. If you want to hear more, you can check out For Tech's Sake. That is us for another week. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahalo Gower. We're produced by Julie Hassett and we're part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. See you next week. If you are enjoying my podcast and you're enjoying my Instagram content and you think, you know what? How can I help Stephanie? How can I support Stephanie? I just want to give back, you know. There's a way. There is a way. Cam, you can sign up to become a Head Stuff Plus member. It'll give you bonus content content extra episodes and you can sign off by going to headstuffpodcasts.com you become kind of one of the headstuff community at that point and you can get in touch with me get podcasts on demand whatever you want covered we'll cover it it's definitely worth a fiver a month go for it This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.